Good morning, church. What a blessing to have this choir with us this morning. Amen? Thank you. Thank you, choir and orchestra, for all that you did to just bring the life and vibrancy and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ into our presence this morning. We are so grateful for you. I want you to take out your Bibles. We're going to read out of Luke chapter 5, actually Luke 4 and 5 today. So open up your Bibles if you would. Bibles, acronym, basic instruction before leaving earth, right? We ought to pay attention to it. We ought to just pay attention. Let me ask a question. Why are you here this morning? Are you here to worship God? Are you here because this is just normally what you do? This is what we do on Sundays. Are you here because your children are here and you want your children to be trained up? Are you here because your spouse brought you here but you really didn't want to be here yourself? Let me ask another question. What do you want God to do for you this day? What are you looking for today? Or are you? What do you want God to do in your marriage? What do you want God to do in your business? What do you want God to do in your neighborhood that you are assigned to? What if life were different than it is? What if, what if whatever humdrum, whatever just kind of normalcy of your life, what if it were different? What if you went to bed tonight and you said, I cannot believe what happened. I cannot believe what God did through me. It was so encouraging. What if, just what if, life were smoother, more productive, more joy-filled, less harassments? Would you, would you want that in your life? And if there were a key or two or three, not a magic genie, but if there were a key or two or three that could help unlock that, would you want to pay attention to that? Pastor Mike is in some warm weather place, I'm not sure where, but he asked me to say hello to you. And uh, (laughs) he's actually visiting with his parents in Arkansas this weekend, but uh, he asked me to preach on fasting. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, this is hilarious. Christine assigned me grace, and I'd much rather speak on grace than fasting. But uh, (laughs) I just have to laugh. Mike, in Luke chapter 1, announces, the Holy Spirit announces that Jesus is going to be born, right? So Mike preaches on that. And then in chapter 2, he preaches on that Jesus is born. And then in chapter 3 of Luke, uh, we see John announcing that Jesus is going to come. And, and then in chapter 4, Jesus is tempted, and Mike elaborates on all the great teaching the, with authority that, that Jesus had. Mike will be back in a couple weeks, and he's going to talk about Jesus choosing the 12 disciples, Jesus' most famous speech of all ever in the entire universe, Jesus raising a man from the dead, sir, uh, sending uh, demons into a herd of pigs, calming a storm, healing a woman that's been bleeding forever. 5,000 people are going to get fed. He's going to get a talk on all those. He asked me to speak on fasting. So I don't really know all so much about this, but I am privileged to be able to do that this morning. Last week we saw the Pharisees and the teachers in Luke 5. They started kind of sparring with Jesus. They were sparring about the fact that, hey, uh, this miracle, this, they, they were kind of put on notice. Jesus feeds, you know, uh, excuse me, Jesus uh, fills this boat with an enormous amount of fish, right? And then all of a sudden, some miracles happen. Jesus heals a leper. You ever feel like a leper? Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Are you paralyzed? 
Is there a relationship that's just got you tied up right now? Jesus is in this, actually the Pharisees and the teachers are in a sparring match with Jesus. And in verse, chapter 5, verse 26, take a look at that. Luke 5, verse 26. We read this. After the miracles, after the healing, verse 26 says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We've never seen remarkable things. We have seen remarkable things today. I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be pretty cool if we saw remarkable things today? And what might we need to do just to incrementally change our lives in such a way that that could in fact be true? Jesus did lots of things that likely we will not do. We will likely not walk on water. We will likely not raise people from the dead. God is big. God could do whatever. But Jesus did things that we can't do. But he also did some things that we can do. One of them is this idea of fasting. So let's uh, read our scripture for today. Luke 5, verses 33 through 39. They, talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Pharisees and teachers, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into the new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For he says, the old is better. I wish we had about four weeks just to unpack that entire scripture. But we don't. But this idea of fasting in the first section that we read, it's brought up and it was referenced in Luke 4 in such a manner that we thought it would be appropriate just to camp on it for just a moment. So we're going to continue in Scripture by turning back and looking in Luke 4 beginning with verse 1. It's our belief that there is a direct corollary effect between what Jesus did at the outset of his ministry. Remember, Luke 3, he'd just been baptized. God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm very well pleased. Listen to him. So he's at the culmination of the beginning of his ministry. And the very next thing that we see uh, is this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the desert. Now, when I think about being led by the Spirit, I think of Psalm 23. I think about being led around calm waters and into peaceful places. And, and here we see that we're led by the Spirit into the desert. Do you ever feel like, God, how is it that you led me in the desert? I'm trying to do right. 
I'm trying to do right by you. I'm trying to honor you, and yet I'm in this desert. God led his son into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Are you ever on the heels of a huge victory? Jesus is just baptized. A dove descends on him like the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Huge, huge victory in his life. And immediately gets barraged by Satan. You ever have that experience in your life where you just get pounded? I think we'd be wise, number one, just to recognize that that's going to happen. In this life, we will have trials. He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, watch what happens. The devil is going to challenge his identity. The devil is going to twist scripture. And the devil is going to appeal to three kind of sin factions that we all get appealed to. The lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh, and the pride of life. Watch what happens here. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. How often do we try to battle Satan on our own? How do we try to figure things out? How often do we try to outman someone with a, with a louder voice or a more conniving spirit? Jesus used the word of God. Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place, a second kind of attack, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Like that's really true? So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem yet a third time and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said. Satan never just put doubt in your mind. Well, if you're really a Christian, hey, mark it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are a believer. Do not let Satan bang you. Do not let him harm you if you are He says, if, what verse am I on here? Thank you. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, Jesus answers, it says... The word of God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He will come back, right? He will harass us here on this earth, but he left him. He got worn out. When we fight the evil one, scripture for scripture, we poke him in the eye, we bother him enough that in the name of Jesus, he inevitably is going to leave, right? We need to recognize that he will come back. So at the very outset of Jesus' ministry, he did what he's always done. He spent time alone with God. In this case, 40 days. And he consecrated himself. He fasted. He set himself up. I want to suggest that really what fasting is, is it's a way to say to God, hey, I'm serious about this. I'm not just throwing up a flyer here. 
I'm not just going to go online and see if maybe I can get a cheaphotel.com. This is, I'm doing the very best I can, God. I'm going to labor in this. God, I know you know the outcome already. I know that it's already set, but I know that it will be delightful to you that I orchestrate my life in such a way that I can uh, plead on, on behalf of any number of things which we'll talk about. So you may be tempted at this point to say, well, this is not applicable to me because I have a sugar issue or because for some health reasons. This is not a food issue, men and women of God. This is a heart issue. The discipline of fasting, a periodic discipline of fasting, is not nearly as important as a consistent discipline of just dwelling in the Word of God, being bathed in the Word of God, soaking in the Word of God just a little bit every day. Pastor Mike says 10 minutes a day. And the discipline of praying. God says to pray constantly, right? Those things. Fasting is at a different level, not a bigger, better level, but a different level. We would want to say first and foremost, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer. It would be our presupposition that if you fast, when you fast, the time in the Word and your time in prayer will be turbocharged, will be supercharged because we will become more attuned to the things of God. So I'm speaking to adults. If you're, if you're a young person here and your body is not yet fully developed, I'm not talking to you, at least about food issues. And for those of you who physiologically, for whatever reasons, are unable to fast, Let's think about other ways that you can go before the Lord as well. As always the case, if there's anything that you would take out of this message that would be appropriate for you to do some, take some challenges, you might want to just visit with your physician beforehand. My desire is this. We consider fasting the emptying of ourselves before God, right? And that we would understand that the void that is created can only be filled by the spirit of the living God to have any value whatsoever. Our goal today, my goal today, is that you be intrigued and not burdened. Did you have a clearer picture about how you might be able to plug this discipline in in such a way that you would uh, be more attuned to God? This is not a burden. This is a gift that he gives us. This is an opportunity that the Lord gives us to understand fully the blessing and the joy of getting closer to the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. So fasting, what it's not, it's not a way to earn salvation. There's no way that we can earn favor or buy favor with God. It's certainly not the practices of the elite, like, boy, just the monks do this, or just the nuns do this, or just Pastor Mike does this. It's not a way to lose weight. You might lose weight. It may, in fact, be a byproduct, but if that's your motive... That would not be honoring to God, right? And it's certainly not so we can get power, but rather so that we can plug into the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be more attuned to the things of God. For me, fasting is the voluntary denial of something for a specific period of time for the spiritual purpose of addressing the high places in my life. emptying ourselves and our dependencies upon the world. The word says, in our weakness, he is made strong. When we, when we 
fast, when we cut out, when we deny ourselves, we get closer to a total dependency upon God, a reliance upon him. So seven points. Number one, fasting helps you put God first in your life. Fasting makes space for God. John 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, if a woman remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We want to be grafted into that vine, putting God first in our lives, making space for God. Point number two, fasting helps us to listen to God. When you fast, life slows down. We, at some level, mark our lives by meals, right? It's lunchtime, time for supper, time for popcorn. Life slows down when you fast. And when life slows down, you begin to hear clearer the voice of the Holy Spirit. At least you have the opportunity to do. Number three, fasting brings order out of chaos. Everything's in order in your life. Everything's in order in your home. All the vertical spaces, all the horizontal spaces are clean in your life. And uh, then all of a sudden, there's just this chaos that happens. It happens for any number of reasons. A car doesn't work. A kid, something doesn't go right. Any number of things. I have to laugh. Uh, we get one of those texts today at 7.15 this morning. <laughs> there's a fire drill with one of our kids. It's like, really? <laughs> you know? Today, they have to be that way. They're going to come. We ought to pay attention. Fasting brings order out of the chaos. Number four, fasting, I want to suggest, is a pathway to freedom. God's word says in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 11, that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Would you like that? Would you like a harvest of righteousness and peace in your home? Would you like a harvest of righteousness and peace in your relationships, in your neighborhood, in your work? God's word says no discipline seems pleasant at the time. There may be a cost for what we're talking about. It may even be painful. You fast, in all likelihood, your body will detox and you might get headaches. You take caffeine out of your life, and it may change your game, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 11. Point number five. Fasting tenderizes my heart towards God. This is the God who sacrificially gave his son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. He gave his only son, to die in our place so that we might have a relationship with him. Think about the tenderness of his heart. Think about the tenderness of the heart of Jesus Christ who didn't have to come to earth, didn't have to become a man, but he did willingly to be pleasing and honoring to God and then because of us, because of a guy named Jim, because of us, woman named Sylvia because of a guy named Garth he came individually 
also in tenderizing our heart, we more and more identify with the suffering of Jesus Christ. As we have hunger pains, as we have headaches, we get a little teeny, teeny, teeny taste of the road to the cross. Number six, fasting gives us boldness before God. Before God, As I said, I think fasting turbocharges our prayer life. We've got confidence in an increased manner in, in God himself. As we still the noise, as we still the noise and lean into the silence, as we clear the clutter and begin to obtain order, as we move beyond the superficial and into the supernatural, we see that the promises of God come true. We see these banners come to life, that he is the king and that he is the son of God and that he is the savior and that he is with us, that he will provide and that he will be our shepherd and that he is the holy one. He can clean up the messes of our lives and he is righteous and he is the Lord of hosts and he is the eternal God and the God almighty and the most high. He is the Lord Adonai. He is the Lord Yahweh. He is who he says he is. And it becomes clearer and clearer as we lean into this, this, uh, this idea of fasting. I've fasted much of my adult life. I don't remember when I began to fast. I don't remember it being exhibited in my home. I don't really even know how it came about. But I, somehow the Lord just kind of made that a part of my life. And these three things I know for certain. I fast to gain order in my life. I fast to address sin in my life, and I fast to address the, uh, to align myself, I should say, with the will of God. There was one time I was fasting, and um, uh, my wife was at a retreat, a women's retreat, and this lady came up to her. I was, I was just not certain about some things, not certain about some career things. I was not certain about some things that just weren't going, I just was trying to seek the will of God, just not clear on some things. And... Um, and so I was, I was bringing that before the Lord. And I was also bringing a sin issue before the Lord that I just wanted broken. I was just like, God, must this continue? Must it continue? Christy goes to a women's retreat, and this lady from our church, who n- neither Christy nor I knew, uh, came up to Christy, and she says, this is a really weird deal. I don't know what to say about this. I don't know anything whatsoever other than to tell you that I got this word from God that I think your husband's supposed to have, and I don't know what to do with that. And Christy's like, well, you ought to go tell him what it is, or you ought to write it down, because he's actually seeking God at at a new level as it relates to, and so she did, and and, uh, I don't have it with me today, but but the word said this, and it was three paragraphs, and and in essence what it said is uh, three things. One thing I ask of you, to sit with me. Two, your She wrote the word business. Your business is keeping you from me. Then she scratched the word business out and she said, your busyness is keeping you from me. Both were true. One thing I ask that you sit with me, your business is keeping you from me. And I'm going to do a new thing. Watch me. And he did. Pretty cool. I don't know. Just coincidence? I don't know. Number seven, fasting's like tying a ribbon around your finger to remember God. Realigning our hearts and our minds to the things of God. You know, there's that great verse in Jeremiah 29. 
For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. It doesn't mean to make you rich, just to root you, to, to settle you in. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future, if you will seek me and seek me with your whole heart. Well, that's the, I love the front end of that. I want to be prospered and I want to be rooted. But that second half, if you will seek me and seek me with your whole heart, when I'm honest, I am at best half-hearted most of the time. And I think I'm half-hearted because I'm on this kind of cycle that just gets through. When I fast, when I change the rhythm of my life, I can't help but become more wholehearted. Part of that half-heartedness for me is just the struggles of this world. I, I have sin issues in my life. An inherently deceitful nature. Sometimes way too vain and sometimes on the inside really more insecure than, than I need to be. A remarkable desire for the approval of man. Socially acceptable, but still completely deceitful nature that hides in food. For some of you, it might be out of control spending or hidden spending or addictions to drugs or alcohol or pornography. For some, it's real subtle. It's just a, a covetous spirit or jealousy. Gossiping lips, insurmountable fears that just neutralize you. Contrast those, God calls those high places, right? Idols in our lives. Is food more important to me than Jesus Christ? Contrast that with Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and in whose leaf does not wither. That's what you want. You want to be planted by streams of water. You want, you want to bear fruit. You don't want the leaves to wither. You want there to be constancy of that. That's who God made you to be. I know that's the man and woman that you want to be. This past week, you know, um, my job is not unlike many of yours. Uh, I am um, aware of, privileged with, entrusted with a lot of confidences. And by God's grace over my entire professional career, that's been a part of my life that I've been entrusted with confidences. And um, when you're entrusted with confidences, you have no credibility whatsoever if you ever violate one of those confidences, right? It's just, it, you, you cannot do that. And, and because you don't violate them, um, in increasing measure, God gives you more and more um, uh, trust entrusted to you, more and more information entrusted to you, and... and uh, and, and I'm not, that, that's, many of you, that's your lives, right? Uh, 
this past week, I violated a confidence. Can you imagine when everything in your life is built on credibility and that gets eroded? This past week I've been fasting. I am absolutely convinced at the core of my being that that error on my part, it wasn't manipulative, it wasn't coercive, I didn't set out to do it, it just came out. Sometimes we just sin, we don't even know why, right? That was met by so much grace and so much forgiveness and such an unbelievable outpouring of that's not you. We know that's not you. We don't trust you any less. We believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was Satan's way of trying to throw you off and throw us off. Be gone. Let it go. Be blessed. I wonder had I not been in a spirit of prayer and fasting, if God had not known my heart was as pure as it could be, even when I screwed up, there is power. So fasting, it's saying yes to God and no to yourself. John Piper writes this, Fasting in the American culture and many other prosperous Western nations is almost incomprehensible because we're brainwashed by consumer culture. We're taught to experience the good life by consuming and not renouncing consumption. We're often confused into thinking that this is our home, right? This is not our home. This is just a temporary dwelling place. This is just, it's just an apartment. This is not home. We are living for another day when we get to our home. So let's not be in bondage to the stuff of this world. Philippians 3 says this. Uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? My sense is that if you do, fasting will help along those lines. That explosive power that brings back Life from death. <laughs> so fasting is this. An invitation to move from the ordinary of strength and power and insights into the extra, extraordinary. Not of ourselves, but of him. Lots of examples of that in the word of God. Jehoshaphat, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. Jehoshaphat's vast army is facing him, about to annihilate he and, and his people. And he says this, Lord, this vast army is coming against us. You ever feel like that? You got a vast army coming against you? We don't know what to do, God. We declare a fast. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. You at that place in your life today? We don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, God but I look to you. Esther, Queen Esther, fasting. She was challenged with going before the king and making a request of him. The, the reality was she could have been killed just for going before the king. She called on her brothers and sisters to fast, and they, that fast gave her confidence and boldness to, in fact, go before the king. King David fasted 
for the life of his son. When we fast, it doesn't always work out. David's son died. At least it doesn't work out on this side of eternity. doesn't mean we ought not do it. Ezra fasted for the protection for he and his family, for the safe protection from his family to go from point A to point B. Paul fasted as they established the New Testament churches. In in my case, I don't do it all the time, but um, most Mondays I fast. Try to fast, eat, eat supper on Sunday night, and then try not to eat again until Monday night. I want to fast for my marriage, for my children, for my work. I don't want to foul up my relationship with my kids or my marriage. I want favor and productivity and insight and God's wisdom and work. My son wrote me a letter uh, this fall, and the final line on the letter was this. Without you, I'd be nothing. He's putting a lot of stock in his life in the way I do, right? I would trade a couple of meals on a Monday (laughs) so that I don't mess up. My experience is the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's no different than weightlifting or training for a marathon. Practically speaking, here's some takeaways that you might want to think about. Fasting is always, almost always, accompanied by accelerated prayer, right? So how do you fast? You can choose. You can choose the sort of fast. You can choose the reason for your fast. I'd encourage you that you need to fill up the fasting time. If it's food, fill that time up with the things of God. Otherwise, Satan will fill it up for you. So the reading of God's word, praying. One of the things that I found important to do is to, is to be accountable to someone that, hey, I'm fasting, just so that you don't sneak and also so that someone can kind of intercede. And certainly if you're going to fast within the context of a family, you don't want to make it weird that, you know, your family doesn't know how long you can do this for or whatever. There's different kinds of fasts. You know, a complete fast, just a water only or a water and a juice fast. Lots of times when I do like a water or juice only fast, I, I will take a protein supplement in the morning, maybe sometimes at noon as well, vitamin supplement so that, so that my body, you know, But God certainly knows that that's different than what I would normally eat. There could be headaches. Don't forget that. You could do a complete fast. You could do a selective fast. That's what Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, where he says he took no pleasant food. Maybe it cuts out meats or sweets or bread or pasta. You may have, uh, if you're married, a fast from intimacy. For many of us, just think about the idea of a media fast, just, just a 24-7 silence, that everything was turned off. Uh, six preachers are going to preach next week on the idea of, of Sabbath. Just think about what a real Sabbath would look like. You know, I fasted, um, uh, I fasted for a day. There's lots of scripture examples. Fast for a day, you fast for three days, fast for seven days, ten days, 21 days, 40 days. By the grace of God, I've done all those things. I don't tell you that that you might. We're to fast in secret, right? But we also need some instruction along those lines. How, how did you do that? How did that work? How, we can talk about that. I can assure you this, that God is faithful. God will deliver. God will be God in each of those 
Jesus in Matthew verse 20, excuse me, Matthew 20 verse 32, these two blind men are crying out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And what's Jesus say to them? He comes up to them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? That's what I'd ask you this morning. What do you want the Lord to do for you? Is it vibrancy of prayer? Is it the Holy Spirit that you want to hear from? Do you want more joy and fullness? Is there a nagging sin? Here's a real specific challenge. Write down what God would say to you. Write down, God, what would you have me fast for? Who would you have me fast for? How might I do that? Ask yourself, what in your life, and ask God, what, what, what should I give up and for what period of time? This week, not in June, this week, what, God, might you want me to fast over? What might you want me to grieve over? You'll have victories, and then there'll be defeats. But you can do this. God promises, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. My friend, Steve Metter, um, sent me a paragraph. I'm going to close with this paragraph right now. He said, as we conclude our fasting, we're reminded that at each step along the way, we're drawing closer to the cross. Every hunger pain, every reminder of food, Even our very feeling of faintedness reminds us that we're taking another step toward the cross. This is the goal and destination of our fast, to come close to the foot of the cross, to realize in our own finite ways the suffering of the Master, His infinite mercy and love for us and His call for us to bear our own crosses, to suffer as He did for the benefit of all men. So then, when we come to the end of the journey within our journey, Let us look up, let us gaze at him hanging there. See the splattered blood, the abject spectacle of his lifeless body, willingly sacrificed and in plain view for all to see. Realize that our fasting provides us an an avenue to better understand the heart of Christ a trail to the rocky precipice called Golgotha, where sin and death and the devil were defeated forever, and where Jesus Christ emerged victorious. As we complete our time of fasting, and we then are the new wineskins, cleaned and made anew by the rejuvenating power of the Holy Spirit, that we may carry the new wine of the gospel to our brothers. That's what we want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for your grace and for your mercy, might your spirit speak to us and through us, one with another as we intersect this afternoon. God, we want to be aligned with you. We want to be pleasing to you. We want to be honoring to you. We want our lives to count for you. And to that extent, Father, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you would instruct us in such a way that If there are incremental changes you would have us take, if you'd wish for us to step into this opportunity, this blessing of fasting, we ask that you give us the courage to do it. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.